0: Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron.
1: Today, my guest on Off the Shelf is Justin Murphy. Justin is a partner at McDermott, Will & Emery, focusing on, I guess, antitrust areas, Government contracts, procurement, uh, fraud, those kind of things, right, Justin?
0: That is absolutely right.
1: Right. So, and uh, you were part of the Department of Justice. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background?
0: Absolutely. So first, thanks very much for having me. Um, I uh, was a federal prosecutor for almost um, six years, um, and I left the, um, the Department of Justice at the end of February. I was on the criminal side of the antitrust division. Um, where I investigated and prosecuted domestic and international antitrust cartels, um, as well as procurement fraud. Um, and I was also an original member of the Procurement Collusion Strike Force, uh, which I think we'll cover today.
1: Absolutely. Well, we're definitely going to spend a lot of time focusing on that. And uh, and it's, it is great to have you on the show. But let's like level set for folks. And first of all, can you talk a little bit about... Um, the antitrust division its role within DOJ?
0: Sure. So the antitrust division is a component of the department of justice. Uh, It had the antitrust division has both a civil side and a criminal side. Again, I was on the criminal side Um, and big picture. It investigates and prosecutes conspiracies that unreasonably restrain interstate and foreign trade. Um, The source of its power is the Sherman act that prohibits agreements Um, between horizontal competitors that restrain trade or commerce. Um, And what we're talking about in essence are agreements to fix prices or to rig bids or to allocate markets or allocate customers um, or anti-competitive conduct in the labor markets. And that last um, bucket is relatively uh, a relatively recent development.
1: So can you sort of lay out for the folks yeah, you started to go down that path a little bit. Just some of the, the, the actual sort of per se crimes that uh, folks need to think about in the, uh, and when they think about antitrust in the
0: context of government procurement. Sure. So um, a, a per se violation means that if you can prove it, the law presumes that it is anti-competitive and that there's no justification for the conduct. So it's, it's categorically illegal. So for price fixing, you are talking about um, agreements between two or more competitors to fix or determine a price at which a product or a service will be sold. That's the most uh, basic and simple version of price fixing. It could also be agreements relating to pricing formulas or profit margins or certain credit terms or price floors or price ceilings or, or any and all of the above. For bid rigging, at its simplest form, two competitors are agreeing in advance, who's going to win and who's going to lose the bid? It could be either by submitting a complimentary bid or some sort of rotation um, or allocation um, or, or uh, one uh, competitor suppressing their bid versus, um, a, a, as opposed to another. The, the third is market and customer allocation. And that's where you're talking about you're agreeing in advance divide up the market in some way so it could be by geographic area or it could be by customer or product type and in instances like that sometimes you hear things we can't sell to your area or you aren't in our area or uh, company x shouldn't be calling you um, or you will need to call company y Um, the last one is relatively recent um, development and it's in the labor market The labor markets were historically dealt with um, civilly, but in the end of 2016, the Department of Justice announced that two types of labor market um, violations, um, wage fixing and no poach, um, that those would be considered per se. And at least as of the end of March, DOJ has said this is one of their top priorities. So it's worth paying attention to. Um, There's actually three filed cases all in the past few months, all in healthcare. And there have been publicly reported investigations in the healthcare, technology, financial services, and consumer products areas. So for wage fixing, DOJ's argument is that it's basically price fixing in the labor market, but you're having, you have an agreement about the input rather than the output. And for no poach, it's an agreement not to hire or solicit competitors' um, employees.
1: Yeah. And I understand that's essentially fixing, you know, a cost element of a bid, right. In a certain sense, right. On the, exactly. On the, right. Yeah. So during your years at DOJ, which of these, um, you know, per se crimes were most common or would come to your desk or to your office?
0: I think it's fair to say, generally speaking, that, um, throughout my tenure price fixing and bid rigging were the most common, um, Price fixing is really traditionally what you think about when you think of the antitrust division, and then I also worked on a number of procurement fraud like cases, and those generally tend to be bid rigging type matters. Right. Um, I will say again that the labor markets that seems to be the the hotter area right now.
1: That that's fascinating to me the the labor market one. And how how did you know DOJ come to focus on that? What was sort of the indicator? that brought that you know, into focus for the, for the Department of Justice?
0: Well, the, the Department of Justice's view is that um, the labor markets, it, so on the, on the wage fixing, that it's just traditional price fixing. And on the no poach, that it's just a traditional allocation and you're allocating the employees or you're, you're fixing, your are you're price fixing um, the, the wages of employees. Um, and that protecting uh, American workers is, is a part of competition. The way they did it is, is very interesting. So normally what happens, price fixing, bid rigging, market allocation, customer allocation, those have long been established as per se crimes by courts. Many, many, many in decades of decisions. DOJ just came out in the fall of 2016 and said, no poach, wage fixing, that's going to be per se. In one of the three charged cases, uh, the defendant moved to dismiss. And interestingly, the US Chamber of Commerce filed an amicus brief in support of that motion to dismiss that really took DOJ on for this decision. Um, They point out that it's the job of the courts, not DOJ, to say, or the job of the courts or Congress, not DOJ, to say that non-solicitation agreements um, are per se. Congress hasn't passed a law here. And the courts haven't reached this conclusion yet. And courts reach those conclusions usually based on years and years of litigation and often doing experts. And that hasn't happened here yet. And therefore, they argue that it's unconstitutional because it violates the separation of powers between the executive and judicial and legislative branches. And it can't provide the kind of fair notice required for due process. Um, It's a fascinating issue, um, it has not yet been addressed by the court that motion is still pending, but it's something to, to keep your eye on. Um, because again, the labor market investigations and prosecutions are a hot topic at DOJ right now, but it's interesting that another agency has pushed back on the antitrust division's uh, really uh, declaration that they would, should be considered per se.
1: Yeah, that is interesting that, and what's your sense? How do you think if you have a, a thought on, on how that eventually
0: be resolved. So on on a motion to dismiss is a tough standard in in a criminal case. But I I do sense that these arguments about whether or not it's per se um, may get some traction. Um, What DOJ is going to try and do is focus on, on the sort of specific transaction, which is, this is just traditional allocation And allocation has been per se for decades or in a wage fixing case, this is just traditional price fixing. And just because it looks a little different focus on the actual transact transaction. So it'll be interesting to see how it turns out.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's fascinating. So Justin, when we have to go to break right now, but when we come back, Let's uh, talk a little bit about, you know, some of the overall trends and, you know, we've, we've covered the, the labor markets issue, but just the overall trends over the last two or three years, you know, when you were still at DOJ, and then we can turn to the procurement collusion strike force, uh, sort of as a culmination of that, I guess, to a certain extent. My guest today is Justin Murphy. He is a partner at McDermott, Will & Emery. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Justin Murphy. He is a partner at McDermott, Will & Emery. We're talking antitrust uh, law, you know, operations, right, from a government perspective, the Antitrust Division with the Department of Justice and, and your role there and your experience now out in the private sector. So, Justin, one of the things you started to touch on, and we spent a time talking about, you know, the enforcement in the, uh, in the labor market area um, and in terms of allocation, right, and what's going on as a new trend. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the other trends over the last four years that you saw and, and I guess people
0: experienced? <laughs> sure. I'm happy to do so. So the priorities and trends under the Trump administration uh, seem to be a bit different from prior administrations. There was a real focus on domestic cartels, um, less focus on international cartels, which has often been one of the the hallmarks of the antitrust division over the year, fewer charged cases and actually fewer criminal fine dollars. Um, So the criminal enforcement was actually, to give you some specific metrics, um, between 2013 and 2016, you'd usually have about 50 criminal cases filed um, each year. There were about half of that number between 2017 and 2020. And again, um, the real shift to the domestic cartels, that's that's where the largest investigations were um, from the prior international um, cartels. So I gave those statistics about the enforcement metrics being down. But having said that, in, in 2020, the antitrust division on the criminal side actually instituted the most grand jury investigations in almost 20 years And ended the year with the most open grand jury investigations um, in a decade. Um, The other real trend was a big focus on the government agency as a victim and procurement fraud, which in turn led to the the creation of procurement collusion fraud. Uh, Procurement collusion strike force. Got to say it fast 10 times in a row.
1: Yeah, it's a tongue twister a little bit there. Yeah, um, and we'll start talking about that in a minute. But I got, I have to have a couple of questions. Why the shift to more domestic cartels versus international? And can you explain for the listening audience what "quote" an international cartel versus yeah is or isn't?
0: Sure. So happy to do so. So um, a domestic cartel means that the 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 government is investigating conduct that um, exists within um, the domestic United States. So that may be the um, whatever industry is being affected um, or the the commerce that's being affected and the subjects that are being investigated are all domestic. So an international cartel is something that may be impacting uh, the global economy, may impact Asia or Europe or South America um, or, or elsewhere or all of the above. Um, and there's often coordination with other um, competition authorities uh, around the world. And the U.S. Um, is focused on, even if it's an international company, on the commerce that is actually impacting the United States. Um, in, in terms of why the shift from international to domestic, I think um, part of it may be that that, that was that tracked... Um, One of the goals of the prior administration, which was, um, seemed to be, uh, you know, America first, and to really focus on um, government agencies where they are, um, where they are a victim and focusing on conspiracies that were closer to home.
1: Yeah, which leads us to the procurement collusion strike force and, you know, the big focus on government as a victim of procurement fraud. Can you talk about you really what, what was the spark that led to its creation and, and, the, and, its, and its mission to start with?
0: Sure. So the PCSF was formed in the fall of uh, late fall 2019 and its mission, it, it leads the Department of Justice's coordinated national response to combating antitrust crimes and related schemes in government procurements and grants and program funding fraud at all levels. So not just the federal government, also state and local level. So you know, what led to it again is, is the focus on the government agency as a victim in procurement fraud. The PCSF is targeting areas where the government is a victim. Um, and for companies that are suppliers of the government services, whether you're in healthcare or construction or defense um, or some other industry, The PCSF doesn't care if it's 100% of your business or 10% of your business. It is focused on the potential conduct, if there is a there there.
1: I'm just curious, was there one event or was it a a series of events or just looking at the federal market in general, that kind of where the leadership at DOJ and antitrust division kind of said, uh, yeah, we need to focus on this more.
0: I'm not sure if there was a single event. I I, I will highlight one investigation relating to the Korea, uh, the supply of um, fuel in South Korea to U.S. military bases. And it was a a decade-long conspiracy. And ultimately, there were criminal charges against five corporations um, relating to – and the the issue was that they were colluding – Each of the bids to the U.S. military for fuel had separate line items, and the conspirators would get together in advance and agree which refinery would win each line item um, in advance um, and at which price they were going to win. Um, That case resulted in more than $150 million in criminal fines. That investigation is often credited, at least to some extent, with the catalyst that launched the PCSF.
1: Yeah that situation got a lot of press I I remember reading about it and following it and kind of you know outrageous behavior on the part of the of those companies so can you talk a little bit about so we, uh, the structure of the PCSF nationwide and how it works
0: Sure so happy to, so it started with 11 US attorneys office partner districts Um, And then expanded late last year, doubled in size, and now it's 22 U.S. Attorney's Office districts, as well as some federal agency national partners like the FBI and Department of Defense Inspector General and United States Postal Service Office of Inspector General, um, among others. What's interesting about it, there's lots of other federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies that also actively participate. And it really depends on what district you're in. Some districts given their location and the industries within them will focus on certain types of procurement related conduct more than others. And because of that certain agencies may play a stronger role in those districts. And it can be very different and distinct from district to district. Um, The PCSF is um, started domestic and then in the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, it has now gone global. Um, which is a, is a very significant development. Happy to get into it as well, but there's really sort of two buckets of responsibilities at the PCSF. The first um, is training, education, and outreach to those that are involved on the government side of procurement. This was a, a big part of my job at, um, in working on the PCSF. So you're talking about to your procurement officers and law enforcement officers and government lawyers and auditors that support both. Um, And the goal was to train them at the federal, state, and local level, and again, at all levels, about this is what an antitrust crime is, and this is what procurement fraud looks like. And we are going to share with you some case studies and the red flags of collusion, which we can talk about as well, that help these individuals issue spots and, and be able to identify certain signs and indicators that something may be amiss. To date, more than 10,000 individuals from 500 uh, agencies have been trained. That's a lot of people. And again, the, the training was such a big part of my job at the PCSF. It's a really big priority for the department. The second bucket is what you so think. So, Jason, the right
1: book. there, we're, we're almost right up on the break. And so, when we come back, you can we'll talk about that second. We can start talking about that second part. Just a quick question is the training just for federal folks, or is the outreach beyond that? Absolutely
0: beyond that federal, state, and local level.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, okay, great. So, when we come back, we'll talk about that second area of responsibility and functions that the pcsf the procurement collusion strike force is working on my guest today is justin murphy he is a partner at mcdermott will and emory i'm roger waldron and you're listening to off the shelf on federal news network welcome back to off the shelf on federal news network i'm roger waldron my guest today is justin murphy he is a partner at McDermott Will and Emery, he focuses on procurement uh, fraud-related issues. Former DOJ attorney in the Antitrust Department, and uh, was one of the I guess charter members of the Procurement Collusion Strike Force, and that's what we're talking a lot about today. So, uh, Justin, you, know, you you talked about the training um, at the in the in the last segment and the role in terms of the role of. PCSF, can you talk a little bit about that other role that I know people really care about?
0: <laughs> yes, and, and, and that's the more traditional role when you think about a federal prosecutor, mm-hmm. And that's the, you know, you're investigating potential crimes. And if there's a there there, you are prosecuting such crimes. And the way the PCSF is set up is that you would work in conjunction or in coordination with, is maybe a better way to say it, with the other law enforcement agencies and the U.S. Attorney's Office in whatever district you're paired up with them in.
1: Sure, and so I know we're going to talk about data analytics, which is fascinating to me because data, you know, is ubiquitous, right, in our economy now, and you know, and how, and I'd be interested in to hear your you know, your your insights on how it's being used in the enforcement area. But I guess first, can you talk about sort of the red flags um, when you're given the training that you, which you did a lot uh, for government folks on? you know, what to spot and what to look out for. Can you talk a little bit more more about that? And then we'll move to the data analytics.
0: Sure. Happy to do so. So again, the key part of the training was developed based on years of experience in prosecuting bid rigging and price fixing cases, and in particular such cases in the procurement sector across industries. So these flags don't mean that there is a violation. If you see one of these flags, that doesn't mean, oh, a crime has been committed. Again, they're meant to assist law enforcement and procurement officers in identifying situations and scenarios where collusion is more likely to occur. It's meant to literally be a red flag to send up their antenna. So in terms of favorable conditions for collusion, scenarios where you have repetitive or regularly scheduled purchases, competitors that enter into prime and subcontracting relationships, um, situations where you have few sellers or a limited number of qualified bidders. There's also quite a number of suspicious bidding patterns where you have competitors that may appear to take turns winning bids. Um, again, uh, contractor A wins, um, competitor, contractor B loses, and then contractor A subcontracts out the work to competitor B. Um, a suspicious pattern. Uh, Certain competitors only bid in certain areas, whether it be uh, in geographic or or type of bid, or regular bidders fail to bid on work that they usually bid on and that they're completely qualified uh, to bid on and perform. Other signs to be mindful of as well, particularly, you know, and we'll turn to the, I call these sort of the other warning signs, um, certain language that um, a bid might have been a courtesy or complimentary um, or references to respect, or your, you note that similar transportation costs are specified by local and non-local companies. Um, and and then some of the numbers, DOJ is really spending time digging into the metadata. And that's a big part of investigations, where you might have bids that were submitted from the same internet bids from competitors that were submitted from the same internet service provider um, or perhaps submitted from the same login credentials um, or the metadata reveals that the same individual prepared um, two competitive bids or more competitive bids um, or that they were prepared within um, minutes or moments of one another and there's other items as well. Certain types of language in the bids um, that is uh, might be Unique or different or unexpected, and reflects the fact that perhaps the um, competitors may have spoken, and others are adopting another person's explanation um, for a bid or certain conduct, things like that. Right. So,
1: yeah, and and I think one thing you you mentioned to me during during the break is even typos. You can see the same pattern of typos. Um,
0: That's there are a number of examples where the same typographical errors um, or the identical charts. And the supporting documentation um, will appear in bids from competitors.
1: Right. Yeah, I guess uh, collusion and plagiarism at the same time. Um, You know, you talked about metadata, but, but I guess data analytics and generally what's going on in that area. Can you talk about that in terms of how the procurement collusion strike force is seeking to utilize data analytics?
0: Uh, Happy to do so. And I think this is a really big deal. So um, last year, the Department of Justice hosted a series of data analytic webinars, and there there were four of them, with more than a 1,000 data scientists and analysts um, and auditors participating. So this PCSF data analytics project, they're engaging with dozens of government agencies, their analytics shops, and they're working in conjunction towards constructing analytics tools to detect collusion. Um, this is a real game changer. Um, we're talking about mining available procurement data to identify patterns that may indicate or suggest collusion, and it could be patterns in bidding or pricing or some other aspect of the procurement process. It could really be any aspect that can be um, quantified in the data in the red flags of collusion that we mentioned a moment ago. Um, and this is data that the government can access and analyze you know, such vast amounts without potentially ever having to issue a subpoena or obtain a warrant. Um, so uh, I, I think this is a sign um, for how investigations will be um, going forward and uh, we'll see what kind of success they have.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating to me, just, you know, that, because you hear all the time, you know, on the private sector side, the, how companies are using data to better understand their, their markets and, you know, use it for advertising and all that kind of stuff. So to see the flip side of it and the, and the government looking to develop tools to s- analyze, you know, data around it's the procurement system. It's, it's, um it's going to be interesting to see how that all that shakes out. Um, so what we have here, it seems to me, Jason, you so you have the procurement collusion strike force. It's out there training Thousands of government uh, procurement officials, auditors, you know, contracting officers, um, all sorts of folks. Um, It's the the data analytic tools are being developed. We've had um, with the pandemic, a a series of, you know, spending packages that do include procurement and we're looking at more. And now we're talking about infrastructure bill, it seems like we're getting the sort of perfect storm in the sense of even greater heightened uh, scrutiny and enforcement as more money goes to whether it's it modernization for the government infrastructure spending you know broadband all these things you're talking about federal money and with that federal money well there will be oversight and this is going to be a big area so you know can you we'll start we have about a minute minute and a half left in this segment you know, what do companies need to think about as they are navigating, you know, this changed landscape?
0: Well, I I think you, I wanted to add, I think you gave a really great overview about what's coming. I wanted to toss out one additional statistic is that um, historically antitrust cartel enforcement has increased substantially following economic downturns. And the most recent example we have is after the 2008 financial crisis and the 2009 recovery act, the Department of Justice filed 60% more criminal cases than in prior years. And you need a lot of investigations to get that many criminal prosecutions. So, and what I uh, agree wholeheartedly about the impacts of um, not only the, the stimulus package already passed, but what may come um, in terms of that. I, I think that clients doing business with the government, uh, government agencies should expect increased scrutiny of their bids and the bid award process. Um, and as we'll talk about in a bit, I really need to ensure compliance with antitrust and government procurement laws.
1: Right. So, and when you come back, we'll focus the last segment on those compliance uh, best practices that you you, you you will be you can share with folks. Um, it seems to me too, uh, Justin, is you know they're going to look at what's already happened, right? You know, in response to the pandemic, you just, just think about all the spending that went into buying PPE and you know and just responding from a healthcare perspective and a logistics perspective across the country so there's already in a certain sense historical record that I know you know the government's going to be taking a look at and just and more th- moving through the stimulus packages and whatever infrastructure comes out so it it's going to be an interesting time for you in particular right? Agreed. Agreed. Yes, absolutely. So my guest today is Justin Murphy. He is a partner at McDermott, Will & Emery. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Justin Murphy. He is a partner at McDermott, Will & Emery. And when we, Justin, when we closed out the last section, we were talking about all the factors and you know, and, and another big factor, obviously, is that you, you have a new administration, um, you know, taking the lead and we have new um, antitrust compliance guidelines. So you talk a little bit about that and then turn to what companies need to be thinking about in this market.
0: Sure. I'm happy to do so. So, um, so we are expecting a more aggressive enforcement and increase in cartel investigations and prosecutions um, in the Biden administration. So there is already uh, an increase in the budget for fiscal year 2021. Uh, There are proposed increases, a substantial one of $300 million. Um, And uh, there has also been quite a bit of, during the pandemic, increased uh, coordination um, on the international level um, between the United States and its um, uh, foreign counterparts so I would expect also a, a return to the more, um, interna- more international cartel investigations as well. Um, in terms of what companies can do to reduce risk, th- this plays in um, well with um, new guidelines from the antitrust division. So historically, the antitrust division did not provide credit to corporate entities for their compliance programs at the charging recommendation stage in criminal investigations. But in a substantial shift, DOJ announced that it would, in fact, consider corporate compliance programs um, at that charging recommendation stage and actually published its guidance for prosecutors, what prosecutors are supposed to consider in evaluating such compliance programs. The other real important thing here is that DOJ now allows the criminal antitrust violations to be resolved with deferred prosecution agreements. Um, This is a really significant development and opportunity for companies to proactively consider and reevaluate their antitrust compliance programs. Um, look, antitrust violations can be costly. We're talking about substantial criminal fines, often well in excess of hundreds of millions of dollars, um, potential suspension or department, suspension or department, particularly in the procurement area. Uh, you're talking about potential criminal prosecution of executives um, follow on civil litigation that may result in treble liability um, and reputational um, damage and an effective antitrust compliance program may entirely avoid or significantly avoid or lessen these costs. With the, with the enforcement on the rise, it's really time to take a good look at this. And, and the hook is that by taking a hard look at your compliance program and updating them and bringing them in line with the, uh, the new guidance there's something to be gained by doing so now. And, and I recognize, and I think the department did too, that some of the incentives were not present there before. Um, but again, a DPA is on the table, even if an antitrust crime was committed. So there's really a relatively low cost to reviewing and improving compliance program. And the potential benefits are substantial. Um, DOJ is literally telling you, these are the components of an effective, uh, an effective program. And this is a place where experience in a trust council can make a real difference. Right.
1: So can you talk about, you know, those key components of a, of a, you know, sound compliance uh, program?
0: Sure. Happy to do so. So um, first things first, there, there's three big core questions. Uh, and then there's a number of factors. And, and um, But the three big core questions are, does the company's compliance program address the, and prohibit the criminal antitrust violations? Did the antitrust compliance program detect and facilitate prompt reporting the violation? And to what extent was senior management involved? Um, I think the, the key takeaways from, and then the, the, the guidance lists nine factors to consider. Um, and I think that the key takeaways are this, that you really need, to establish a clear corporate policy that is includes full antitrust compliance. There needs to be antitrust audits um, and monitoring um, that and also includes training to raise employee awareness. Um, and there needs to be clear guidelines and guidance for where employees can direct their questions. There needs to be risk assessment. There needs to be an accounting for best practices for competitor, competitor communications and information exchange, particularly for uh, employees that may be in high risk positions. There needs to be a, a tracking of competitor conducts and there, there needs to be some diligence. Um, you know, the other important thing to consider is, and the guidance makes this clear, this is not a one size fits all. The, 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 program, the antitrust compliance program really needs to be tailored. The company's size History of antitrust violations, the industry, the industry's history, um, individual and other individual competitive risk factors such as market share, the number of players in the market, whether there's high or low barriers to entry, etc. So there really needs to be um, a a focus on the company itself and the industry with, with within with where it sits.
1: Yeah, that, those are all great things. And um, so you're taught, you know you know compliance i always like to say is is basically fundamental to it should be fundamental period right but it's truly fundamental in a in in a regulated market really which the government the federal procurement marketplace is is highly regulated and and i trust is just one part of it so you talk- companies really have to you know make a you know f- a management fiscal you know structural you know commitment to you know putting these kind of plans in place is, is that fair to say? Uh,
0: it, yes. And it's an opportunity that was candidly not there before, before this guidance. There right. is, there's a real carrot um, to be gained um, right. f- um, from taking the time uh, to, to focus on compliance now.
1: From the, 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 the deferred uh, uh, prosecution? The opportunity
0: for a, deferred, for a deferred prosecution agreement and, or um, some other lessening um, of a criminal penalty, assuming that there's a there there.
1: So, so one of the real life examples I know because you know, there's lots of teaming, obviously in government contracts, um, and you know, and exchanges of information between companies. Can you talk a little bit about best practices? This is just one area that always come when I you know comes to mind when I think about procurement, especially in, in more complex areas. Just some of the best practices for competitor communications and information exchange as you're sort of building your team and looking at, you know, know, how to move forward in a, in a procurement?
0: Sure. Well, so the, the short version um, is when you're talking about um, competitor communications and information exchanges um, there should be any policy should say there's should be zero tolerance to any conduct that violates the antitrust laws in any country where the company is doing business. And, you know, you're talking about um, avoiding discussions with competitors regarding pricing or bids or some non-public related component of price or wages or compensation. Again, the labor markets is a relatively, we're not just talking about the folks in the pricing and the sales. We're talking about HR um, uh, folks as well. Um, You really wanna make sure that you are um, exercising caution um, at any sort of industry or customer events where competitors may be present, um, including sidebar communications. You wanna avoid discussions with competitors by text or encrypted messaging application um, or social media. Um, And it's really makes sense to also track um, high-risk employees um, who regularly come in contact with competitors due to the nature of their position um, and consider audits. Consider using data analytics yeah, yeah. To monitor their communications. Um, because as we've already discussed, discussed the department of justice is um, and it uh, it's a way that you um, can stay ahead of the game.
1: Right. It's, it's fascinating to me because in, you know, in, in all these markets period, right. You compete together as part of a team, but then you turn around, you may be competing directly against that same partner in another area. Right. So it, just thinking about how you structure those relationships and you handle that information. um, You know, that's, it's, it's it's gotta be the focus of management. I, you know, it it always should have been, but now even more than ever.
0: Yes. And, and the department of justice is is going to focus on the specific transaction. Um, And so even if perhaps you have two, Um, you know, you have a company that is a manufacturer and it's a distributor. So a typical, a typical vertical relationship, if those two entities um, competitively bid and hold themselves out to the world as being competitors for bidding on project X, um, the department of justice is going to focus on that actual uh, bidding transaction rather than the the relationship um, that they may have had elsewhere.
1: Right. So, um, and you touched on, Justin, you talked about, you, you know, we could expect to see an increase in enforcement, you know, with the new administration. Um, we got about a minute left. Can you talk a little bit about what industries to watch for in this area?
0: Sure. Let me, let me highlight, um, let me just highlight um, a, a few. So I think healthcare is a, is a big one to really focus on. Um, uh, and the Department of Justice has recently identified it, it healthcare as well as one of its top focus areas. There's a number of very large and high profile ongoing investigations. Um, and uh, in addition to the, the recent labor market prosecutions in that area um, as well, um, I would expect the focus and attention from the division to continue in healthcare, particularly where you're talking about an industry that's related in so many respects to the pandemic. Yeah. And the influx influx of stimulus funds, um, the labor markets as well, um, also identified as a top priority. Um, and again, um, it, it, although the prosecutions thus far are in healthcare, um, there are also investigations that have been publicly reported in financial services and consumer products um, and, and other um, technology and other healthcare areas. Um, the other that I wanted, the last two I'll focus on, is sort of the defense procurement and construction. Um, DOJ, on the defense procurement, DOJ is really focused on collusion that victimizes the government. Um, and the recent expansion of PCSF just, just cements that. Um, construction, I want to highlight, as this has been an area where the, the department has historically been very, very active, um, and there's been some, uh, a lot of recent charged cases in the construction industry as well. Um, and with the Biden administration's proposed $2 trillion infrastructure plan, I would expect this enforcement trend to continue. And again, particularly in conjunction with the expansion of the PCS app. Right.
1: Great. You covered it all. That was great. Uh, I want to thank my guest today, Justin Murphy. He is a partner at McDermott, Will & Emery. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network.
0: You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.